Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Extra Time. I am your host, Connor Bromley, and joining me today is Emma Deduve, <laughs> which we're having a little laugh about before the game, who's a, a Tottenham fan. We've also got Adam Newson, who's one of our Chelsea journalists. And that means there's only one place to start, Emma, and that is Chelsea against Spurs yesterday. How does Spurs digest that game after starting so well in the first half and then just coming unstuck in the second? I know, I think it was a very frustrating game. You know, I thought the first half was a lot better than uh, in the Palace defeat last week. Um, started with a more attacking side. Um, had, I thought, good spells in the first half, but obviously couldn't make anything of them. And then I don't know what happened in the second half, but it just all went downhill from there, really. Um, I think there was no one on the bench to bring on to sort of change the game. And once the first couple of goals went in, I think that was sort of it for Tottenham. And Adam, do you think Chelsea, you know, they, they kind of started slow, it's fair to say, in the game. And then I don't know if Thomas Tuchel just told them to actually stop playing football in the second half or if he shouted at them. I'm not sure what exactly happened, but they were a different animal in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Tuchel said that uh, at half time he, he sort of reiterated that they weren't going to win the game on skill alone, that they had to do almost the basics, you know, the fighting for second balls, the controlling of possession a bit more. Um, and obviously he introduced N'Golo Kante, uh, who's not a bad substitute to bring on, to be fair, if you're not having a great game. Um, big call to take off Mason Mount, but Mount hasn't really found his top form this season. So um, so it was a bold call, but one that absolutely paid off. And Kante was superb. Chelsea sort of changed systems a little bit, went to 3-5-2 um, and just controlled that second half. And I think Tottenham's fast start really cost them in the last half an hour. They looked absolutely out on their feet and Chelsea could have probably scored four or five in that time and the fact they didn't um, probably flattered Tottenham a little bit by the end. Do you think Emma, you know, thinking over the years, Tottenham and Chelsea kind of been parallel for you know, a few seasons, you know, Tottenham obviously reached the Champions League final as well and Chelsea maybe had a few down years with Frank Lampard there and the transfer embargoes and stuff. To see now the gulf in quality must, must hurt Spurs a lot because it wasn't long ago that these teams were as good as each other, if not Spurs being the better side. I know and I think sort of in all of, you know, the Man City performance at the start of the season was good. But apart from that, you know, even against Wolves, OK, we won 1-0, but, you know, they dominated. And I think to now see, yeah, how the difference in sort of quality throughout the game. And, you know, I agree with Adam. I think the last, after the first half, it looked like they were all knackered. And I think, yeah, to just see the sort of the difference in level now, I think is very disappointing, especially after signing players, you know, during the summer transfer window as well. Harry Kane came under a lot of scrutiny yesterday. I think it was Roy Keane on Sky who was giving him a bit of a hard time. Emma, you know, what, what do you make of him this season? Because he, he just looks a shadow of the player that we all know and love. He really does. I think, you know, he played a lot in midfield yesterday. And I think, you know, we know he can produce the goals, but he doesn't seem to be so far this season. I think he looked he looked lost without um, Sun in the game before. You know, he just he hasn't got off the mark really. And I, I don't, I you know, we don't know if that's because he's still thinking about this Man City transfer, which didn't happen, or don't know what it is. But you know, he's he should be playing as you know the out and out striker, and he seems to be getting deeper and deeper every game and just not really producing anything. Maybe he sees himself as a, a CDM in the future. Adam from one striker who's who's struggling in uh, Harry Kane. Romelu Lukaku, who didn't get on the score sheet yesterday, but he still looks very, very dangerous, doesn't he? Yeah, he's been obviously fantastic since he arrived. He's got four goals in five now. Um, 
he gives Chelsea something that they really didn't have last season in terms of that focal point. Um, whether or not there's still an element of, of Chelsea working to Lukaku, um, because last season with Mount, Havertz and Werner, that was a very interchangeable front three. They could all, all drop off or all run behind. And Lukaku is a bit more of a fixed point. And I do think Chelsea is still working, um, not necessarily on how to get the best out of Lukaku, because obviously he's scoring goals, but those around him, the Mounts and Havertz and Ziyeshes, we haven't seen the best of them this season. And I do think in time, Thomas Tuchel will work out what that front three or maybe it's a front two looks like. But um, but in terms of Romelu Lukaku, he's been, been fantastic. Add such a personality to this team, some leadership as well that, that wasn't always there last year too. So he's been unbelievable. Um, I don't know if you can have a, a £97 million bargain, but he has been absolutely fantastic for Chelsea since he arrived. You touched on, on Mason Mount there. He's a player that I think... You know, I'm, I've not necessarily been a big fan of Mason Mount over the years. I, I think it's sometimes he's a lot of energy, but maybe not often the end product. Yesterday, you know, brought off at half time. Do you think he's struggling to adapt into this Chelsea team? And do you think that maybe he's the one player in there that maybe Chelsea could do with getting an upgrade on? I don't think many Chelsea fans would agree with you. Um, you think it's me just being a match of the day watcher? <laughs> no, I'm, look, look, there's no, there's no doubt that he hasn't necessarily started this season in the best of form. Um, whether that's because he came back late after the European Championships and only had, I think he only played one preseason game, um, and that was behind closed doors at Cobham. It wasn't even a proper official preseason game uh, before he was back in the team. Maybe there is an element of that. His role has been tweaked a little bit because Chelsea have been playing uh, more of a two up top. Uh, be it Havertz or, or Lukaku with Mount as a, as a more defined 10. That's not really his best position. Um, in the academy, he was more of an eight. Um, so there is responsibility on him to step up and, and create more chances and score more goals, something he admitted he needed to do more of uh, last season too. So, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one because he hasn't hasn't starred, hasn't necessarily been as, as good as he can be. Um, but Thomas Tuchel really does does love him. So did Frank Lampard, so is Gareth Southgate. I mean, I think everyone loves his off-the-ball work and that's what gets him into into these teams. But Mount's a, a smart guy. He'll know he has to up his, his level again. He has to produce more in the final third. Um, and he hasn't done so yet. But he's a, he's a, so he's a smart player. He'll know what, what he has to do to, to stay in this Chelsea team going forward. And for Spurs, I'm at, it's two defeats in a row, obviously, two three nils as well, which is disappointing. And that defensive style of football that Nuno brings, the fact that you've you've not scored in two games and you've conceded six goals, is the honeymoon period over now for him? And is he really, you know, kind of under the cosh a little bit like he's North London neighbour Mikel Arteta? Yeah, I think it is hard because, you know, we are five games in, um, but yeah, the performances have not been good enough. Um, you, despite the you know two three nil defeats, I didn't think I'd be saying this, but I don't think the defence have done awful. I think it's more coming in the middle of the pitch, um, and I think you know I know Nuno was saying as well the fact he hasn't had everyone fit, you know, with the whole thing that happened with the international break with Lacelso, Sanchez, and Romero, um, and then the loads of injuries that we've had. You know, that's not an excuse because that's just what happens in football. But I do think, you know, something needs to change, whether that's the formation um, or it's it's hard because I think, yeah, it's it does seem like this sort of honeymoon period is over with these two defeats. But I think something needs to change to get back to sort of the performance that was against Man City in the first day. So what, what would you do different? You know, if you if you were in that, that, that hot seat right now, what would you be looking at for the next game? Um, I'd probably potentially try a back three 
Um, you know, I think Regulon and Royale could both play as wing backs. Um, you know, going up and down the line a bit more. Um, you've got the likes of, well, I mean, you've got quite a few options for a back three with Tanganga. Dave, even Davis could come in. Not, I'm not the biggest fan, but um, then you've got obviously Romero, Sanchez, Dyer. There's options there. And I think potentially just trying that might help get it a bit more forward and produce more in front of goal. And do you think with, with Harry Kane, you know, we mentioned that you're dropping into the the midfield. Do you think that's a directive coming from above that he's been taught? I mean, I know he's always liked to drift back yeah. and he has often came back into that number 10 position. You see it with England all the time as well, but it feels like it's, it's almost worse at the minute. And watching yeah. him yesterday, it often looked like he was playing, you know, in, in central midfield and you don't want your 30 goal a season striker dropping that deep all the time. Especially, and especially when there's no one else to sort of do it. If there, you know, if there was a two Harry Canes, you'd be fine for one to drop back. But we don't have that other person. So yeah, I don't know if if maybe Nuno has asked him to go sort of a bit deeper. But if he has, I don't think it's working. So I think that that should be a focus as well. You know, getting him back to getting in the box. But you know, a lot of the time he was he was trying to cross it in and he was going down the left and the right when he's the one we need in the box to be on the end of those crosses. Yeah, well, you know, Nuno as well. He's had Raul Jimenez, who who did very well at Wolves. So you'd think you would know how to get an out-and-out striker scoring goals. But at the minute, it, it looks... I mean, it could just be on Harry Kane. You know, well, we, we uh, talk about is... his headspace. But mm -hmm. you just... You worry that he just doesn't know how to play him. Yeah, and I think that's, what hard, that's what's hard. We don't know if it's... Yeah, Nuno doesn't know how to play him or if it is, in fact, Harry Kane and he is just not in the right headspace at all. But I think, you know, he has... He's committed himself to the club. So he needs to he needs to be fully committed. And if it is in his headspace, I think he needs to sort of rectify that so that he can get back to his goal scoring ways. Yeah, Man City need him scoring goals to get ready for next season, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um Adam, what lessons do you think you know Spurs can learn from Chelsea? Because I presume that's the first time you've really watched Spurs, you know, in depth this season. What did you make of their performance and, and you know how far away do you think they are from being a, a top four side? They looked quite far away from it yesterday, to be honest. Um, obviously, you've talked about Harry Kane there. I think having Son back will help going forward. Uh, I think he's so important to this Tottenham team now. Um, but it's a shame, in a way, um, to see that Spurs have dropped off uh, since the sort of Pochettino days. Um, I'm really intrigued to see where Dali Ali goes in his Tottenham career at this point. Um because obviously, you know, it's been kind of two or three seasons now of sort of drift. And and I was a huge Deli Ali fan when he broke through. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. And it's sort of sad almost to see him almost having sort of aimless at this point, not really sure where he's going at Tottenham. Um, but I think Tottenham will, will have probably a better season than they did last year. I'm not sure they're going to get into the top four in terms of what they can learn from Chelsea. I mean, Tottenham can't spend the money that Chelsea spent last summer. Um, which was best part of two hundred and fifty odd million, so they're not going to do that. Um, I guess you can you can look inward. At, 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 you know, Chelsea were fortunate that transfer ban came along in a sense because it enabled the likes of Mason Mounts and Reese James to break through and have their opportunity. Tammy Abraham and Fikayo Tamori as well, who who both have moved on this summer for the best part of, of fifty million. So by playing those academy players, not only did Chelsea find first team players, but they also sort of raised the value of these guys so that Chelsea could sell them and then bring in money and, and reinvest that. So maybe 
looking inward is is another way. Um, I'm obviously not as, as familiar as, as Emma would be in terms of Tottenham's young academy prospects, but um, but yeah, maybe that's a way you can look at it. If you can't spend a lot of money, look inward and, and see what you've got and what you can nurture. Um, it can pay off you know you look at the the level of, of academy talent that's being produced in, in england at the moment and it is off the, it's off the scale really so um so i'm sure tottenham have a couple they can really trust do you think emma looking at you know what chelsea did last year when you probably say when frank lampard was at chelsea you know chelsea and tottenham were, were, were close to each other you know it felt like chelsea were a little bit off the pace in terms of the title race um chelsea of course bring in thomas tuchel and Spurs end up with Nuno Espirito Santo. Do you think there's a gulf in class there in terms of manager? Uh, yeah, I mean, potentially. I think everyone knows Nuno wouldn't have been sort of a lot of fans' first choice. I think I think it is hard because I think, you know, it, it, you have to give him time to settle in, to work with the players, to find out, you know, for him where what works best. But I also think, you know, there's only so much time you can give him. Like, you can't keep saying, well, it's only five games, it's only six games. Like, there comes a point and, you know, I think we've got uh, Wolves in the Cup on uh, this week and then, you know, the North London Derby, which are going to be two massive games. And I do think if there's defeats in both of those, there's going to be heavy questions over him. So it could, yeah, it could all keep going downhill from here. But obviously, I hope not. So what's the expectation, do you think, for Spurs? Because with Espirito Santo being there, you obviously don't want to be sacking him in October. I mean, I don't <laughs> think Tottenham will do that. But what you know, do Spurs see themselves as being a top six team? Do Spurs are they willing to accept finishing eighth or ninth this season? You know, where is the, the expectation level this season for him? God, I, I, it is. I think it's very hard. Yeah, I think as Adam touched on, we look far off being a top four side. I think... Obviously, top six, I think it would sort of be personally where I'd expect us to finish. But I mean, I think it all just just does depend. I know Adam touched on Deli Ali there. Again, another player. I don't think he had a good game yesterday. Seems to be playing sort of in the middle three and then gets pushed forward into a forward three. You know, I think players need to find their position. And I think if we want to be in the running for top six, then things need to start sort of changing quickly. Otherwise it will be more like a 8th, ninth, 10th finish. And from, from the negativity of Spurs, Chelsea, I would put them as the, the title favourites now. You know, you saw Man City drop points uh, at the weekend against Southampton at home and Pep Guardiola seems to be going through a bit of a meltdown at the minute, you know, having to go at fans <laughs> and his press conferences have been a bit, bit roby. Liverpool obviously are also going to be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. But Adam, do you think that Chelsea have looked like the best team in the Premier League at the minute? Yes, to a point. I mean, they haven't played, they didn't play well against Villa last weekend. And obviously the first half yesterday, they weren't great. But there is a, a resoluteness to this Chelsea team. Um, there's obviously such a depth of, of quality. You look at the bench yesterday with, with Ziyech and Kante. Timo Werner, Ben Chilwell, um, Chelsea do have an absolute wealth of options to call upon. And in my opinion, they probably have the Premier League's best coach at the moment. Um, Tuchel has absolutely proved himself to be so tactically astute. You just look at, say, his in-game changes yesterday. I'm not sure there's another coach who would have been that adept at doing that. Obviously, we know that Klopp and, and Guardiola are absolutely brilliant, but they have a more of an overarching philosophy that they would have sticked to. I'm not sure they would have been as as 
as keen to change their approach um, as Tuchel was yesterday. He he's not um, he's not as dogmatic as those two. So yeah, I I I don't really want to go out on a limb and say Chelsea will win the Premier League title, but they're definitely going to be in the mix um, along with with Man City and Liverpool. I think they're going to be the three and. Maybe Manchester United if Cristiano Ronaldo keeps on scoring every week. And Emma, do you think Chelsea are are the favourites, or do you do you fancy someone else for the title this season? I mean, I think I definitely think they look very solid. Um, I think you know if I think Dyer did well in the first half, sort of keeping Lukaku at bay. But I think you know he's he's going to be great this season. Um, as Adam touched on the, the the bench as well, you know having game changes on the bench is something that Tottenham don't have um so I think I think from what I've seen so far I defo probably as much as it pains me to say put Chelsea <laughs> in the running or if not favourites okay well uh we'll jump on now Emma I think you're gonna say goodbye now um yes. it was, it was great much. having you on yes and yep. hopefully Spurs do pick up and start getting towards the top six <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> thank you <laughs> Um, so let's let's talk a little bit now about the rest of the Premier League. Adam, Manchester United, we, we touched on them before, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring again. But the one thing I wanted to ask is, do you think there's a, a little bit of a, almost a refereeing vendetta against them? Because there was two penalties <laughs> for me yesterday in that West Ham game that were obvious. I, I don't understand how he didn't get at least one of them. Do you think there's like kind of a, I don't know, a 12-year backlog of people remembering being a little bit of a diver when he was first in the Premier League? That's costing them. No, and without being too harsh on Premier League referees, I just don't think they're that good, um, to be honest. Uh, yeah, both penalties look pretty much nailed on to me. Um, same with West Ham. They should have had a penalty earlier in that game as well for, for a foul by Juan Bissaka on Thomas Suchek. So I don't think it's a particular vendetta against Cristiano Ronaldo. I just think it. what VAR does sometimes is highlight the standard of refereeing in a negative way. And yes, Martin Atkinson should have spotted both of those. Yes, VAR should have spotted both of those and they didn't. And that's probably quite damning on, on the referees of, of this country. And I don't want to be too harsh on them because they have a difficult job. But if if you're not spotting those, having the opportunity to look at it twice, then questions probably do have to be asked at that point. But I don't I mean, think it's a, I don't think it's a vendetta against Ronaldo. He will get penalties this season, yeah. for sure. Do you not think, though, I mean, we'll talk about other Premier League games, but you watch Man City in the penalty that was given against them from Adam Armstrong, which to me was a penalty, and then somehow was reversed as a clear and obvious, mm. you know, wrong decision if he's reversed it. And then you watch the Ronaldo one yesterday and that looked clear and obvious to be a penalty. It, to me, it feels like there's just so much inconsistency right now in the decisions. I mean, that that Manchester City one is bigger as belief how that one got overturned. Yeah, yeah, I... I think, you know, VAR trying not to overrule the, the on-pitch referees too much because it does undermine them to a certain extent. Um, but as you say, the decisions and the clear and obvious the label of it, it's not that hard to, to, to see these and go, yeah, that's a mistake or, or that's not. And I don't I don't understand how, how these decisions have come to, to be honest. Um, Chelsea have been fortunate not to really have one go against them yet. So that, that's all I can say from that perspective. But, um, but yeah. Manchester United should have had two penalties. West Ham should have one. In the end, they got one. They missed it. Um, and Man United scraped through. Um, even though I'm still not that sure about them as a team, uh, largely because of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I have to say. Yeah, because when we talked about before comparing Espirito Santo with Thomas Tuchel, 
you compare Solskjaer with the the managers in the what well, I would say that what looks like it's going to be the the top four this season. You know, who would you rather have Solskjaer or Klopp, Solskjaer or Tuchel, Solskjaer or Guardiola? And, and Solskjaer doesn't win any of them. Mm. You know, choices. So, is that where Manchester United are probably going to fall short this season? The fact that they just don't have a, I say world class, but I just mean ultimately top level mm. coach in the world. Because Solskjaer is a very good manager. I just don't know if he's in that that upper echelon of, of coaches. Yeah, he's an interesting one because I think he's a good coach of players. I think he gets, uh, he, you know, he's very respected by those in the squad at Manchester United. Whether or not he's the most tactically astute, I'm not sure. Um, but then saying that he has he has managed to produce big wins. Um, I know his record against Guardiola is ridiculously good. Um, so it's a hard one to judge, but I just feel, as you say, if you, you put him up against any of these other top four coaches, you would go with any of the other ones in a heartbeat. Um, not just because of their records, but because of their of their sort of tactical approach. It seems far more defined. Um, Manchester United, for a long period of yesterday's game, especially in the second half, you kind of just wondered what they were trying to do beyond let's get Ronaldo the ball and, and hope something happens. And I think that's the difference between all three te- uh, all four teams, sorry, because you know you co- you know what Chelsea want to do, you know what um Manchester, uh, Manchester City want to do and Liverpool. There's a clear identity to it. And I don't think there is at Manchester United beyond we've got some really good players here. We've got Bruno Fernandes, Ronaldo. One of these guys will do something at some point and that will win us the game. Um, but I don't think you can rely on that for a 38-game season because there will be occasions when that doesn't happen. And and that's where you need your, your overarching philosophy to come into play and help you win games. And the the main talking point, I suppose, is the, the penalty where David Moyes kind of brings on a kicker almost. It's like the NFL <laughs> style where you bring on a yeah. kicker to get that last minute um, goal to, to get you the points. What do you make of that decision? I mean, I saw West Ham have got a terrible record from penalties when Mark Noble doesn't take mm. them. So I can kind of understand it from that perspective, but it, it just seems strange to me. And especially when you watch, you know, the stick that Gareth Southgate got in the summer for bringing on penalty takers and then missing at the Euros. David Moyes, he has to be questioned for it, it's fair to say. He's put himself in that position where he would look like a genius had it come off, but now he just looks like a, a bit of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, as you say, West Ham's penalty record is not great without Mark Noble. So you can you understand the thought process and you can't you can't budget for, for being awarded a last minute stoppage time penalty. So I understand the change in, in, in itself, but as you say, you had a pretty harsh lesson in the, this summer as throwing on players cold doesn't always work out for penalty shootout and and yeah it didn't for West Ham it's a shame it would have been a great moment for Mark Noble given it's his last season and it would have uh, and, and West Ham a point against Manchester United but um but it's not a decision I would have gone with and I I don't know I didn't feel confident when he came on watching it uh, that he was going to score and even though David De Gea I don't think he'd saved a penalty since 2016 or something like that um narrative suggested that that would probably change and, and it did so yeah unfortunate moment for David Moyes and, and Mark Noble and West Ham yeah I think that was David De Gea's first save in 40 penalties I think it was the stat so <laughs> though he did save one last year that got pulled back I think against Crystal Palace uh, I'm sure Solskjaer mentioned that in his post game okay the rest of the Premier League now you know we touched on Liverpool a little bit already but they, they won convincingly is the concern especially for a team like Chelsea that you know Liverpool are going to be the team that were a couple of years ago because I think a lot of people have forgotten somehow about that Liverpool team that basically for two years won every single game and you know won the Champions League won the Premier League last season they were poor on the strength of basically the lost Virgil van Dijk 
what happens if this is the Liverpool team of two years ago? Because that, that's a, a mean beast to overcome in the title yeah. race. Yeah, they're looking really good. Um, Mohamed Salah is playing out of his skin. Um, or oh, it's just reached a level that he usually reaches. I don't know uh, if that's just a, a fairer point. Um, I'm not sure it is the same Liverpool as two years ago. I don't think Bobby Firmino is, is as effective in that front three as he was. Um, but obviously they have now Diogo Jota to, to slide in as well. They're going to be up there um, as long as they can keep players fit. They're going to be they're going to be in contention, um, but they don't have as deep a squad as Chelsea. They don't have as deep a squad as, as Manchester City even, and I think that's that's going to prove the difference again. If Liverpool can keep Salah, Mane, Van Dijk, Fabinho, these guys fit playing in their natural positions. Obviously, Fabinho spent most of last season as a centre back, um, but if you can keep these guys fit, then there's absolutely no reason why Liverpool won't be in the title uh, title mix. But that's the one concern, and I think it's probably the one biggest concern of Liverpool fans again is if you get a couple of injuries in, to key players, then they don't have the the options that others do. Um, but they've got a great coach and, and a great starting eleven, so yeah, definitely in the mix. And Arsenal back to back wins for them. You know, difficult start of the season for Mikel Arteta. They had a horrendous fixture list. Um, you know, their first three games were games you didn't really expect them to win. But a good win away at Burnley, never an easy place to go, as the cliche goes. You know, is the pressure finally coming a little bit off Mikel Arteta and they can begin to become what they actually are, which is probably the sixth, seventh or eighth best team in the Premier League? Yeah, potentially. It's it's hard to really judge them still because they've beaten Burnley and Norwich. I mean, you'd expect them to beat those teams. Burnley haven't won at Turf more, I don't think, since January or something, uh, something like that. So... Yeah, it's not not as hard as it used to be to go to, to Burnley and win a game. Um, so in that respect, I'm not going to make a true judgment on Arsenal yet. Obviously, they lost to Brentford first day, got absolutely torn apart by Chelsea. Could have been more that day. Um, so I, I, I want to see them against maybe a, a middling Premier League team before I make a sound judgment because beating Norwich and Burnley's what you should be doing when you spent best part of 300 and something million in the last few years. Um, they've spent a lot of money and not got that much out of it. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to refrain from making a hard judgment on Arsenal just yet. Yeah, well, Mikel Arteta will be feeling better today anyway, though, because he looked like a, a broken <laughs> man a few weeks ago. He did not look very, very good uh, as the transfer window was closing. Man City, nil-nil with Southampton. I mean, we talked a little bit about the penalty decision, but to me, it feels like they might be in a season of transition. And, and by that, I, I don't mean they're going to finish eighth. I just mean that they're probably going to finish third and maybe win an FA Cup or a League Cup. But they don't look like the the beast they've been in previous years. And I think we're always going to go back to the, the striker issue every time they don't score a goal. But mm. it feels to me that the Guardiola team last year probably wouldn't have you know had blanks in two of five Premier League games. You know, that just didn't really happen. And they've already done that this season. They didn't score against Tottenham on the opening day. And obviously they didn't score against Southampton. One shot on target as well, which is a bit of a damning statistic for a Guardiola team. So do you think that maybe Man City aren't quite what they were? Or do you think that you know they'll, they'll find their stride? Uh, I think they'll find their stride, to be honest. You look at last season, and they did start slowly last season. Um, I think they were sort of eighth or something in November last year. And then they hit that absolute blistering patch of form where they won every game for about three months and, and pulled away from everybody else. So They'll find a solution. I'm sure Guardiola is smart enough to find a solution to the to the lack of cutting edge. Um, you know, everyone talks about City not having a striker this year, but they didn't really last season because Sergio Aguero spent much of that campaign out injured. Um, and obviously, Gabriel Jesus didn't really step up. He seems to be a little bit more on it this season already. So 
Um, yeah, it's a hiccup. I'm sure Guardiola would have been frustrated with, with the few few chances that uh, City did create against Southampton, but um, I'm always wary uh, about Guardiola that he'll come up with something and then all of a sudden City will hit their stride and just go for the next two or three months just writing them off wins. So, um, so yeah, they'll, 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 they'll find a solution and I think they'll, they'll be right in the mix again and, and a strong contender. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a pretty interesting title race this year. And it mm. could be interesting at the bottom as well. You know, Norwich City lost the, the fifth straight game of the season. Obviously, they had four hard games to begin, but then you play a newly promoted team at home and you get beat 3 1. There's, I've seen some people suggest that maybe they could be a, a contender for the record points. I think that Derby hold 11. I don't know if it's necessarily that bad, but are they already a team that you can pretty much say, yep, that's one place? gone or do you think that they can you know muster some form and, and get up that league table and pick up points unless they improve defensively then yes they're going to go down um I, I quite liked a lot of the business they did in the summer i thought they signed really well um i thought billy gilmore obviously going there was going to be a good move for him um but it hasn't quite happened as you say they've had a really tough start and i think that's important to remember that you can kind of write off their opening four anyway um and they should have they should have put more of a fight up against Watford, who, uh, I mean, I live out sort of five minutes outside of Watford. My brother's a season ticket holder. I know Watford well, and they're not a great team this year. They've got some interesting individuals. Ismail Star is absolutely key to them, but they're not a team that should be going away and convincingly winning at Norwich. They 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 Norwich should be putting up more of a fight in that game. So that will be concerning to Daniel Farker. But let's give him a couple more matches to to try and work things through because you know let's count this as one game they should have won and four we knew they weren't going to um and then we can make a, a fairer assessment as to where this Norwich team will go um but it's not looking too promising at the moment yeah I mean I'm, I'm a Southern fan and I remember we did 19 points and 15 points in the Premier League and I do worry <laughs> long, when I watch long Norwich. seasons long yeah. seasons <laughs> no no fun no fun but we did we did manage to to win a home game on my last home game of the 15 point season we're going to be the first Premier League team to never have won a home game and we did we beat Fulham so there was that I don't think Norwich are quite as bad as that and Sunderland weren't even the worst to be fair because Derby was worse than Sunderland but mm. I do worry a little bit about <laughs> Norwich City the other sides in the relegation battle I mean we watched Newcastle against Leeds on Friday night and I watch Leeds and think they'll be okay you know I think they've got the players to get themselves out of it Newcastle you know if if Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximum are fit, you, you would say that they're going to be okay as well because there's goals in that team. And as much as there's criticisms towards Steve Bruce, he's a veteran Premier League manager who does know how to pick up points. Burnley struggling, you know, quite a bit this season. Southampton, no wins, but four draws, only one defeat. So you think maybe, you know, they'll pick up points. And Ralph Hassan, who has got a decent record in the Premier League. Watford, you know, we touched on them before, but they've got six points, two wins already this season who do you think are the three teams that are most likely to go down is there anyone particularly even if you don't pick three is there anyone other than Norris that you look at and, and worry about this season you know maybe Burnley to be honest because I think Sean Dyche has done such a fantastic job there over the years um he's obviously signed a new contract as well which is a great show of faith on the board and him but the the home form should be a major concern. Um, obviously, a lot of those games haven't been played in front of fans, so there is that caveat to it. But maybe there's an element of, of things just becoming a little bit stale at Burnley, a bit, little bit too familiar. But um, 
you know, Deitch knows how to get the job done. He has done so many years now, but uh, but maybe Burnley would be my concern. Um, but that's more just because I'm not sure how long they can keep punching above their weight more than anything. Um, it seems to me there, there, there comes a point where they're, firstly, their expected goals levels out and, and their points levels out and the quality of their team just about shines through and, and, and maybe this is a season. But uh, but yeah, there, there's a couple of interesting things. Um, what I say, Watford will be one to keep an eye out because they have a, habit of changing their manager if things don't work out and um i think had they not won this weekend they would have been a potential that that may have happened yeah i, I kind of thought that as well with Watford if they're lost against norwich they might have made a change um the other thing with sean dice is he's just so calm you know watch his press conferences after the game and he still mm-hmm. he doesn't really look that flustered and i think he's confident that burnley can um can get out of relegation trouble well that's that's pretty much us out of time now adam thanks for for joining us um you know hopefully you'll be celebrating more victories especially like that, that spurs one which is a a big london derby and i, I presume you've got some bragging rights in the office <laughs> the, <laughs> virtual, the, the virtual room. office yes the virtual yeah office. <laughs> some g chats going around just letting them know um so thanks everyone for listening to the the football digest extra time and uh, please remember to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your week